Good morning again. Let's see, we got this one on. There we go. Good to see you guys. Uh, before we kind of jump into the scripture, let me just say one more time, uh, those of you who were here for the call to worship met Gama. He is uh, a church planter in our presbytery, uh, planning over the coming year to plant a church in the Rio Grande Valley area in McAllen. And we're so excited to be uh, a part of church planting as a movement. Uh, we are a planted church. We are a church plant, and we're excited to be a part of other plants as well. We really do think that that's the way that the gospel actually is proclaimed the best throughout the world is when new churches start. So we're excited for Gama and his family uh, planting more churches in in our great state and in this booming metropolis uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. Okay, we're in week two now of Advent, and uh, exciting that we get to continue looking through Luke chapter one. So if you've got a Bible with you, You can open it up to Luke chapter 1. Last week, we heard of an angel foretelling the birth of someone special, John the Baptist. This week, we get to hear an angel proclaiming the birth of someone even more special, Jesus the Messiah. So we're at Luke uh, Luke 1, starting in verse 26, if you want to follow along with me. In the sixth month, and that's the sixth month actually of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for your word and for the words of this angel to Mary, even for her response. We're thankful for the fact that you are a God who acts, that you are a God who takes initiative, for you're a God who bestows blessing, favor even, on those who don't deserve it. We do pray in Jesus, our great Messiah and Redeemer's name today, amen. Well, we are going to talk about this word, favor, this morning. You heard it actually twice, probably, in that passage. The angel greets Mary, and he says, greetings, O favored one, and then don't be afraid because the Lord has shown you his favor. It's an interesting word, the idea of favor, of God's favor even, the idea of being a favored one. 
I have a good friend who told me the story the other day of going to a funeral, and this was kind of a special funeral. He's actually married into the family of former governor of Texas, Mark White, who died just last year. And as he was at that funeral, uh, most funerals for Texas governors, a lot of the former governors will actually come and attend the funeral. Well, one of those former governors is also former president, George W. Bush. And my friend, who was in the family, of course, was there early, and the former president was there early, and so his brother-in-law said, hey, would you like to meet President Bush? To which, of course, my friend said, yeah, of course, I'd love to meet him. And they were kind of forming a line to walk up and shake hands with, with President Bush, and as my friend came up, because he's just bold and witty like this, he came up and he said, I feel like I've seen you somewhere before. And, you know, and, and George Bush just played right into it, started the banter back and forth. My friend starts to swell with pride. Like, I've got this, you know, good bull going here with the former president. Feels good. And then even later in the funeral, as everyone's kind of leaving, this, this kind of line is walking by the family. And, and, and President Bush looks over at my friend and goes, hey, don't I know you? And my friend just thought, I'm in. Like, it's done. I'm in. Like, I'm a buddy of the former president. He felt special. He felt approved. He felt favored. We are looking for favor a lot of times, aren't we? It's the reason we keep trophies and plaques and letters and those things, and we frame them and we put them on our walls. Is because it feels good to have somebody say, I approve of you. You're something special. Maybe there's some of us who want that so deeply and have been looking for all your life to find it and feel like you're always in search of it. Right? The reason why we put on our clothes in the morning, maybe, or put on makeup, there's always this voice in the back of your head that says, are people going to like me? Are people going to think I'm pretty? Are people going to think I'm something special? Is there something about me that's going to earn favor with the people around me? You know, a lot of those outside the church will look at Christians and think those people are hypocrites. In part, the reason they think that is because so oftentimes what we proclaim on Sunday is not what we act out on Monday or Tuesday. And the reason we don't act it out on Monday or Tuesday is because we want the people around us to like us, to favor us, to approve of us. We want, we love, we desire favor. And you know, there's actually a really important word in the Bible. That word there in verse 28 and 30 is the Greek word, Charis. That word is translated all throughout the New Testament as grace. Let me just give you a couple of places. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his favor. Or you were dead in your sins and your trespasses and God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. It is by favor that you have been saved. It's the way that the Apostle Paul talks over and over about God's unmerited grace given to us. God's approval of us based on what he has done, not what we have done. So that's what we're going to dwell on today, this idea of favor and what it means to be favored by God. We're going to look at three aspects, actually. So we'll first start with talking about the recipients of God's favor, and then the results of God's favor, and then the response to God's favor. I made them all start with R. You should be really impressed. You should favor me because of that, right? So we'll start, first of all, the recipients of God's favor. Who gets it? 
Who gets God's favor? Well, Mary is really a fabulous case study for us because Mary is a nobody from nowhere. Now, that sounds weird to us because uh, Mary is pretty famous these days, but really Mary was a person that no one would have heard of from a place that no one would have heard of. When Luke says that she's from Nazareth in Galilee, that's a nowhere place. Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. The southern part of Israel is kind of where the blue bloods live. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where the capital is. That's where the temple is. That's where the kings are. In fact, when we heard the angel speak to Zechariah and announce John's birth, that's where he was. He was in the temple. He was in Jerusalem. It was in public. It was a big deal. Mary is in a nowhere place in private in some rural town in the northern part of Israel. And just in case you didn't pick this up, Luke actually says it's Nazareth in Galilee. He says it's in Galilee because people aren't going to know where Nazareth is. Right? When you hear a newscaster talk, they don't say, it's in Los Angeles, which just happens to be in California. No, everybody knows where L.A. is, so you don't have to say that it's in California. But if you're from Buford, Georgia, you probably need the Georgia on there because everybody, except for those people who live really close to Buford, Georgia, don't really know where Buford is. So he says in his letter, it's in Nazareth, which by the way is in Galilee. He's making sure we know that this is a totally remote place. It's a nobody place. It's a nowhere place. It's totally nondescript. And by the way, Mary, this young woman, is also kind of a nobody person. She's not the daughter of a king. She's not the daughter of a politician. She's not somebody with this great lineage. She's just a young girl. Women in that day probably would have been given in marriage in their teen years, maybe even their early teens. In fact, Mary is probably younger than most of the high school girls in this room. And just in case, again, you missed it, she's not only young, she's a woman. And women in that time would not have been favored. Women in that time actually would have been looked down upon in many ways. They couldn't vote. They couldn't speak. They, in, the, uh, in the synagogue, they really had no cultural power. In fact, uh, a typical prayer of a pious Jewish man at that time, he would have woken up every morning and probably prayed something like this. Lord, I'm so thankful for three things, that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave, and that I'm not a woman. Being a woman in that time was not favor, which just coincidentally is why it's actually so fascinating to see the way that Jesus treats women in the Gospels, because he gives them incredible dignity. So here we have Mary, who is a woman from nowhere, and God comes to her and he says, greetings, O favored one. Don't be afraid. God has actually given his favor to you. He doesn't give her a contract. He doesn't give her a quid pro quo. He doesn't say, here's the favor, but here's the stuff you're going to have to fulfill. She's got no history and no promised future. She's just Mary. And God has come to her through this angel Gabriel and said, I'm giving you my unmerited favor. Now, why do we need to hear that? Why am I dwelling on that? Here's the thing, is that even in a church that likes to talk about grace, even in a church that I think does a pretty good job of it, 
we can still have that little subtle message slip into the back of our minds that says, listen, favor comes when you earn it. God smiles at those who've done a pretty good job. The people that are important are the people that are the best. And when you're not doing well, then God hasn't really given you his favor. Or maybe you once had it and he's decided to kind of pull it from you. Have you ever thought, that thing that I did, how could God ever forgive me for that? How could God really give me his favor if I'm that person? If I've done that, how could he, how could he really forgive me? Ever thought that? I have. Do you know why we think that, though? It's because there's some little message that's just kind of squeaking in our ears all the time that says, you know what, if you mess up, he might just kind of pull it away. Yes, you're justified by Jesus' death. Yes, all of that good theological language, we know it. But, boy, you really messed it up bad this time. Maybe God's going to take it away from you. I was talking to a friend the other day about the distinction between feelings and thoughts and truth. And they're all connected. Feelings and thoughts and truth. And it goes kind of like this, is that usually we will feel something that will then lead us to think a particular thing about ourselves or about the world that shapes then our understanding of what is true, our beliefs. For instance, if I'm feeling loved and accepted by my wife, then my thought is we're in a great place, our relationship is wonderful, which reaffirms kind of this truth that she's never going to leave me. It's solid. We have a good marriage. But it can go negative as well, right? If I feel like I'm somehow lonely or if I'm feeling on the outs or if I'm feeling wounded, that starts to shape the thoughts about who I am. Maybe actually there's something really wrong with me. Maybe I'm deeply deficient. And so then it begins to shape the truth that we believe. Maybe I'm actually just unlovable altogether. This happens with us spiritually all the time. I am feeling remorseful about what I've done. I yelled at my kids. I spoke in anger to my wife. I fudged, you know, my taxes a little bit. So I start to think, how then could God ever forgive me for this? And those little things start to chip away at the truth of who God is, and we start to manipulate the truth to be, well, God really kind of gives people what they deserve anyway. And so maybe if I do more, I can earn back his favor. Do you see how when we f- our feelings can actually lead to a manipulation of what we believe is true? So what's the answer? Well, the answer, of course, is to start on the other side, to start with what we know to be true, is that if we belong to Jesus, it's his work that has given us our identity. If we belong to Jesus, then it's his activity and not ours that makes us right with God. If we belong to Jesus, then he has done what we cannot, and that is unchangeable. God has said, you have my favor because of Christ's activity, because his work on the cross and his redemption. And yes, I want my life to exemplify someone who desires to follow the one who has saved me. But God has said that it is done. It is finished, like Gama prayed earlier. It is finished, and we can't change that by what we do. That's a beautiful truth. We've got to start with that truth. Because those who are favored are not those who are better 
Not those who are faster, not those who are more achieving, not those who are prettier. Those who get God's favor, as exemplified by Mary here, are the humble, the weak. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that is. All right, let's move on then to uh, the results of favor. What happens when God's favor is given to someone? Well, of course, spiritually speaking, the results of God giving his favor are wonderful news eternally, is that God actually makes us right with him, and we get to live eternally with him. He gives us life where there is death. He raises us from death to life. That is what is true eternally, spiritually. But you know, oftentimes what is true when God is actually looking favorably on us, what is true in earthly ways is sometimes not as fun news. See, when the angel comes to Mary and he says, I got awesome news. You are receiving God's favor. Do you know what it means for Mary? A pregnancy without a husband. That's bad news for Mary, right? Particularly in this culture where she would have been utterly shunned. So here's Mary who, by the way, can you imagine the conversation? She comes to Joseph. Okay, I need to tell you something. Don't freak out, right? I'm pregnant, but... It's God. Yeah, right. It's bad news. And honestly, it's bad news that continues really throughout Jesus' life. You can pick it up in subtle ways. When the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, there's one conversation where uh, they say, listen, we know our father's Abraham, but we're not quite sure who your father is. That's what they're talking about. Hey, this child was kind of born out of wedlock. This is a bastard child. We don't really know anything about him. It, It lives with him his whole life. It lives with Mary her whole life. She's actually got to deal with the difficulty of God actually saying, I'm giving my favor to you. I'm giving you a blessing that doesn't always feel like a blessing. I read uh, this psychologist who had given this little uh, example, a little activity to do as a parent. He said, just imagine if you were given the script of your child's life. Okay, you get the whole script, and you had five minutes and an eraser, and you could erase anything in that script that you wanted to. This child just is, just is born, okay? So this is, this is the, the parents of a brand new baby, and, and you say, hey, here's, the whole, here's what's going to happen to your child. You get to erase whatever you want, five minutes, right? Your child's going to be, be, be great and healthy, but, you know, in school, it's going to come out that, that he has a learning disability, and it's going to be really hard for him in school, And he's going to get through it all, and he's going to develop a great group of friends and this wonderful community in high school, and then one of his friends is going to be killed in a car wreck. And then in college, he's actually going to be hit by a drunk driver and walk with a limp for the rest of his life. What are you going to race? You going to race any of those? He's going to meet a woman, and they're going to get married, but they're going to struggle in their marriage. You going to race that? What are we going to take out? See, my generation of parents... Uh, is often labeled the helicopter parents. That's because we like to hover around our children to make sure that nobody ever disappoints them, nobody ever discourages them, nobody ever takes anything from them that they want. We want their lives to be easy. We don't want them to have any pain. And of course, no parent wants their children to have pain. But oftentimes, that really shapes the way that we think about our Heavenly Father too, doesn't it? Because we kind of think it's his job to keep us away from anything that will ever disappoint us. It's really good parenting as a heavenly father means I shouldn't ever have any pain. 
I shouldn't ever have any difficulty. Things should never be hard in my life. Let me just ask a couple of questions. Are you in a time maybe right now where God is beginning to reveal to you some of the things that you hold more tightly in your heart than you should? Is God starting to expose some of your idols? Maybe starting to uncover the things that you didn't think had such a deep hold in your heart, but they do. The things that you've actually put at the center of your life. Is God actually exposing those things, tearing them away even maybe? That is actually God's favor, not His displeasure. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia books, maybe you remember uh, the scene in uh, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this boy named Eustace. And Eustace is, you know, throughout at least the first half of this book, um, a pretty annoying kid. And he's just, he's arrogant, he's frustrating, he's always kind of making trouble. And there's a scene in which uh, he, he's, he's greedy as well, and he starts to steal kind of this forbidden gold, and he actually turns into a dragon. Uh, what, is, what is true in his heart begins to be true of him physically, and his skin becomes scaly and hard, and his hard heart actually has turned him into this hardened dragon. And he realizes this at one point, and he doesn't want to, he wants to be a boy anymore. He realizes that he's, he's been dehumanized by his own sin. And so he starts to kind of scratch at himself, and he wants to take off these scales. And some scales start to fall off, but they just grow back again. And at some point, he then meets Aslan, the, uh, the lion, who is the Christ figure in the stories. And Aslan tells him, listen, you can keep scratching, but it's never actually going to do the job. I actually need to take that skin off for you to be a human again. And when he finally gives in, Aslan takes this big swipe with his claws, and Eustace says that it cuts deeper than anything he's ever felt before. The pain is almost unbearable. And the next swipe is even worse than the second, than the first. And Aslan keeps going, and he keeps tearing him apart, and finally throws him into this pool of water, which just stings and stings so bad. But at some point, he looks and he realizes he has skin again. He realizes that he is a boy. He realizes that the only person that could actually make him new is Aslan. He couldn't do it for himself. But it hurts. Are you in the middle of that process now of the Lord tearing away the idols of your heart? It hurts. But it is God's favor, not His displeasure. All right, let's, let's look finally, uh, third, at the response to God's favor. What does it mean to respond to God's favor on us? Well, again, Mary is just a wonderful example for us here. The angel looks at her and he says, Greetings, favored one. Don't be afraid. God has actually given you his favor. Remember, his unmerited grace and favor. And so, how does she respond? In an incredible way. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. That word she uses as servant is used again also throughout the New Testament. It's translated oftentimes slave. It's what would have been the menial household slave in the Greco-Roman world. And what Mary says is what it means for me to respond then to the Lord's grace and mercy and favor on me is for me then to become a servant. Paul calls himself this as well a servant or a slave for Christ. 
one who has been won and bought and redeemed, and now our hearts actually respond in a way where we want to serve Jesus, our King, our Redeemer, and we want to serve those around us. Uh, There was about 20 of us yesterday that participated in the Christmas boxes of blessing, and it was super fun. We were in this big warehouse, and there were, I think they counted 1,300 people there packing boxes of food. We packed 10,000 boxes of food that were going to be given away then for people who need food over the holidays. It was such a cool thing to actually see people responding to the beautiful proclamation of God's grace. It was wonderful to see actually the action attached to the words. It was people who had said, God has given me his favor and it's not because of what I've done. God has given me his grace and it's not because I've earned it. God has looked at me and greeted me as one who is favored and it's not because I deserve it. And so how do I respond to that? I become a servant. I lay down my life for others. I desire to follow Jesus and all that he's called me to. And I want to then serve those around me. But this is what it means to be favored. If you belong to Jesus by faith, if you're a Christian, he has said these words to you too. Greetings, favored one. Don't be afraid. The Lord has given you his favor. And now we get to respond like Mary. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to us according to God's word today to respond to him as those who are joyful and grateful for his great favor. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you have uh, made yourself known in this passage. We're thankful for this powerful word and this powerful message that it doesn't come to the strong, but to the weak. That it doesn't come to those who've earned it, but Lord, to those who really have blown it. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be those who would come weak, who would come needy who would come with nothing in our hands, and we would receive these beautiful words of your favor upon us, and then upon receiving them, we might respond by serving, by serving you in all that we do, by serving our neighbors, by serving the world around us. We do pray all of this in the name of Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.